Well, anybody that knows me um, or knows very much about me knows that I grew up in a, a Pentecostal church. And if you've never been to a Pentecostal church, Google it, YouTube it, and uh, you'll see quite a, a variety of things. But one of the things that I really um, appreciate, though, about growing up like that um, is the responsiveness of the crowd toward the preacher. Um, as the Frozen Chosen, many of you don't have any idea of what I'm talking about, uh, but it's this idea that of what I teach my college students up at Western is the, the practice of active listening, that you're leaning in, that there's eye contact, that you're showing who is ever presenting in front of you, that you're right there with them. And so a lot of times this happens in church by the amen, or that one lady saying, you tell them, pastor, and standing up and pointing, all right? Um, for others of you, you have no idea your response is to sleep, and I get to watch you do that every Sunday. It's quite enjoyable to talk about you behind your back. But um, with alongside of that, I, I deeply want to encourage you, if you heard the text that was being read today, a lot of what is going to be said is going to be directly preaching, caring for the ladies of our congregation. And so, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you, that every time you feel the urge this morning to say amen, to keep your mouth shut, all right? Because I want you to have a great day. Cool? This is not for you to go home and have a conversation with your wife. Let her bring all this up, all right? I love you, brothers, and I don't want your afternoon to be filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I want it to be a joy-filled experience. And so if you feel the urge, one day, man, this is the day I was going to raise my hands. I was going to say, you tell them, pastor, amen. Don't. All right? Don't do that today. Let's jump into this. Ephesians chapter 5, 22. Here we go. We're going to go all the way back. We're going old school. Ladies, we're going to go all the way back to creation. As we talked about last week and in in what it means to be a part of a gospel-centered marriage and kind of kicked off this definition and this series that we're in over the next month, uh, we were talking about the importance of what it means to be gospel-centered and that there are lots of, you know, implications to being a gospel-centered marriage. It doesn't mean that you ever have, don't ever have problems or issues or any of those sorts of things, ladies, but it means that in the midst of those complications and difficulties and pains and suffering and blowing it or him blowing it is, is that you come back to the gospel, that you're centered on the gospel, um, that the gospel both brings um, conviction, um, but it also brings repentance and it brings empowerment to continue on. When you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, as we read this last week, it says this. I'm going to read it again. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, the, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper fit for him. And so we painted the picture as we see back in Genesis where Adam is given a responsibility to steward and he is given the responsibility to name the animals and God kind of marches the animals in front of him and um, he keeps saying this is this, this is this, this is this, and this is this. And though God had said everything was good in the garden, he quickly comes to this point where he says, but this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. 
And so God, in his sovereign plan, um, decides that he will then create a woman, a, as the Bible would say here, and if you, ladies, if you have your own Bible here this morning and you mark up in your Bible and you're writing out notes, I would encourage you to write this down. He calls you a helper. Be encouraged. Helper. That's the name that you're given. I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper. Now, what's interesting about this is that a lot of ladies will look at this word helper and will immediately want to puff it up because you've been listening to Beyonce too much. And you think that you're an independent woman. I don't need no man. Right? And yet the Bible calls you a helper. That is what your identity is in the person and work of Jesus. One of the aspects of who you are is that God deems that you are a helper. But brothers and sisters, though our culture would like to twist and distort what God means by that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible itself, is not distorting or demeaning the use of that term. See, the problem is, is that many of us don't know Hebrew in here. And the term helper is in the Hebrew is, is more than any other usage inside of the Scripture is used to describe our God. He is the helper. It's the same word that is used in those passages that is used right here in Genesis. So if God is good enough, the Almighty God Himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if he can be classified and part of his identity is that of helper, then therefore yours and my, or yours as a female should be able to be that as well. In Psalm chapter 30, verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Psalm 33, 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 118, 7, The Lord is is on my side as my helper, I shall uh, look in triumph on those who hate me. Later on in the New Testament, John chapter 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit is called the what? Jesus says, I will send the helper. The helper will come. And so this term of endearment is, is reflection in you ladies being created in the image of God as being a helper. This is not less than. Who needs help? A person in weakness. So to truly understand this passage and understand the way that God is using it here in this text is to understand that the true weak one is the man. And she is to help him does not say that she is. It says he is. That's why we need a helper. Where he is weak, she is strong. The one who is weak is the one who is in need of a helper in their lives. And in this case, in the created order, there are lots of great things about men. And we're going to get to men next week. And my heartbeat is to not get red-faced much today, but next week, come, I will. Um, in talking to the men, 
But we see here that in the role of manhood and womanhood, that it is the man that is the one that is in, in the most need of the most help. He needs a helper. God saw that, God, that Adam could not do this alone, that he needed someone to help them. So that's what he did. He created this woman. He created this wife. And so having a wife is a great thing. It is a good thing. It is a godly thing. And being a helper is a good and godly thing as well. We should, Proverbs 18.22 says this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So a wife, is, is, is your role is not to be a ball and chain, it is not to enslave your husband, but this is a good and noble thing. If you are a wife, that is a blessing. You have been obtained favor from the Lord. If you've grown up like I did, you often heard the statement, and trying to be a great man myself, that behind every great man is a great woman. And I think that is a lie. It should say this, beside every great man is a great woman. God did not take Eve from the bottom of Adam's foot. God took Eve from his rib, from the side. You see this a lot in our culture when a man, and I have to watch this because I have a tendency to walk really fast. I got these big old cricket legs. I like the long strides is a man will often walk in front of his wife when he should be walking beside his wife. Okay? See, men in our church need help because they have a tendency to spill water all over the congregational floor. Okay? So, we need help. A man who finds a wife is a good thing, and yet they're to walk. It's not in a lesser role. The help role is, is much needed. It is God-ordained. It is a part of your identity. Ladies, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you need to embrace the role of helper. And walk alongside. Men, you have to fight to walk alongside of your wife. Ladies, you have to fight to walk alongside of your husband. Now, there's a term I'm about to use here that I'll probably go into much greater detail. I'm looking at doing a series in January on our distinctives. And so in doing that, um, I'm going to throw out a term here, and I'll come back to it later on in or beginning of next year possibly. Um, but what I mean by this is where we land as Mission Church is, is when we're talking about a gospel-centered marriage is that we believe that the Bible best paints the picture of what's called complementarianism. We are complement each other. We are side by side. We do this thing together. An easy way or a basic definition of complementarianism is this, is that men and women are equal in dignity and worth, importance, and personhood, but they have different roles, they have different responsibilities. And no, I'm not saying that the woman always cooks and does the dishes and the laundry. That's not what I'm talking about in regards to roles. That roles has a, a lot more to do with ability and a lot of it has to do with just natural, the way that God has made a man and the way that a, way that a woman has made, uh, been made by God. 
And the thing is, is every time I talk to a feminist or a person that's like really into that sort of thing, or even egalitarians, is, is the breakdown is, is that we all do want these roles. Ladies, you've heard me say this before. Someone breaks into your house in the middle of the night. And you know that somebody's broken into your house. And your husband looks over there and says, Hey, Stephanie, you need to go check that out. <laughs> right? You need to go check that out. Something just made a noise. Right? No one expects that, do they? No, they expect the man to get up and to go do that. No matter how much CrossFit my wife does or doesn't do, at the end of the day, I can throw my wife across this room. It's just the way that God made a man to lift, to carry strength. And he did not make her that way. Okay? There's just a physical thing that God has created in these roles that are for the betterment and reflect the Godhead and created order. So that's what we're talking about, this idea, ladies and gentlemen, of just we complement, we walk hand in hand, side to side, great man, great woman beside of her. But this is all before Genesis chapter 3. All of these things are taking place. And yet we see inside of the Bible, if you keep reading inside of Genesis, what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Death comes. The fall, as we call it. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Uh, they believed that they could be like God. They were deceived uh, by the enemy. God comes, and because of the fall that came to our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, their legacy is, is that we, by our very nature, has been changed to that of being a sinner. Because we're a sinner, then we commit sins. And there's nothing that we can do about our sinful nature in and of ourselves. So how has the effects, or what are the effects that have specifically um, of the fall that have affected you ladies in our room? Here are a few that I've come up with. The first one is, is we see that God places a curse upon women. Part of that curse is, is that she will have pain in childbearing. That in the labor process, that there will be much pain there. Just think, ladies, if we had not eaten of the fruit, you could have lots of children and there would not be any pain. But I've witnessed that thing at least twice, well, three times. Once was in biology in high school. That is not warned before I saw that. I was like, I never want to see that again. And then two other times in real life, all right? Now, all I can say is, is from what my wife has shared me, is that there is lots of pain in that. There's lots of fear in that. There's, there's this pain. So because of sin, man, there, you have been affected in childbirth. That there is in the labor process that there is a lot of pain there. The second thing that we see here is the, one of the effects of, of the fall on women specifically is that instead of submitting to your husband, you will assert and want to summer, so assert your will over your husband. Instead of being under his authority, you will try to be his authority. You will try to go your own way. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. As God lays this out, you're going to have um, problems in childbearing and also that you are going to want your husband's position. 
in the home. Um, Laura and I mentioned this, or we experienced this some yesterday. We were doing some cleaning around our house, and Laura called me into our bedroom, and she said, hey, let's, let's flip our mattress, because uh, literally our mattress is, is like, it's, a, it's like a major indention where I sleep, and she's like way up here. And so it's like I got to look up to see my wife, because it's that indented where this big princess sleeps every night. And so my wife was being gracious, and she said, okay, let's, let's flip our mattress. I'm like, okay. And so have you ever moved a mattress? All right? It's like punch me in the face. It's the most awkward thing to try to move. And so we're in there, and you got to really work together to be able to move this thing. And I had it halfway shifted around when all of a sudden Laura grabs the other end and goes the complete opposite. And I looked at her with a smirk on my face, and I said, are, are you going to leave this thing or me? Now, she wasn't intentionally trying to come against me. She asked me to do this, and then as soon as I started doing it, she wanted to show me all the ways that I wasn't doing it right. She thought nothing about this. She wasn't trying to come against me. She wasn't, it was just naturally within her. This was the instinct as I'm going to try to take control of this situation. And this is what you try to do, ladies. You try to assert yourself in the position that God has only placed for your husband. One way to put that is, ladies, you love to poke the bear. And it's a part of your very nature, your sinful nature. You have a tendency to be quarrelsome. So when you and your husband and we get together to eat wings, you are like a unicorn. You are like a Chewbacca riding a unicorn with rainbows coming out of its nostrils. That is how strange and undescribable you are to your husbands. You're completely cut from a different cloth. It's like, man, it's like, man, there's this kind of quarrelsome that can be there about things that, I mean, our husbands, we will say, I don't know why she's getting upset about this. Does it really matter? But buddy, it matters to her. It matters to her. And she will become quarrelsome about it, especially if she gets it on her mind. She can't think of anything else. You can't think of anything else but getting that. And yet, what does the Bible say about this kind of woman and her sin? Notice, this is God's word. Do not send me an email. Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared by a quarrelsome woman. Get it? Attic becomes your new crib. Like it is better for you as a man to be rocking in the fetal position, back and forth, sucking both of your thumbs, to be downstairs in your own bedroom with a wife who is quarrelsome. Let's keep going. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Let's paint this picture. Have you ever been to the desert? I've been to the desert in Africa, lived in the desert in Phoenix. The desert, what's in the desert? It's hot. There ain't no water there. 
all right? You're parched all the time. The thing is, is, is that you're constantly, uh, because you don't really sweat, because it's evaporating so quickly is that you can quickly become dehydrated, suffer a lot of problems because of that dehydration. And, and the Bible, God himself tells the man, hey, brother Adam, it is better for you to go die in a desert, suffering to death, can't breathe, can't eat, can't drink. How big are animals in the desert? Whoop, because ain't nothing to eat there. You will shrivel up, and it is better for you to do that than live in a house with a quarrelsome woman. It's Bible. You don't see many napkins or mugs with that one on there. Proverbs 20, 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs eleven twenty two, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. What's discretion about? It has to do with a woman who can't keep her mouth closed. You were like a, a ring in a pig's nose. All right? Now, Here's the thing. Ladies, I love you. And this can be easily witnessed. This is especially true in new married couples and couples who have been married forever. Ladies, you will have a tendency to be quarrelsome and nitpick your husbands to death. You will become an all-star at all of his faults instead of a helper to walk alongside of him. The Bible will say that a quarrelsome woman is also like a drippy faucet. You ever been around a drippy faucet? Drip, 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 drip. And you will drip all over your husband. And we call that waterboarding. Okay? It's funny, unless you're married to her. And it happens in churches all the time. As we step back and go, oh man, Whew, I could not imagine being married to her. Drip, 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 drip. Go in the desert, brother. Go ahead. Just drive out. Just get in your car and drive out to the desert. It'd be better for you to die. Starve yourself to death. And thank God he is taking you on to glory than living in that house with that drip, drip woman. Okay? Now, these are all in sin. We'll get to the gospel in a minute. Okay? That's what the scripture says. That's the picture that it paints. And it is dangerous ladies because it is natural for you to do this you will nag him to death and i'm telling you it will never accomplish what you are hoping to accomplish with that nagging and that dripping it doesn't work that way men are not made to be like that and we'll get to that next week so there's the pain in childbearing 
There is one, you wanting to uh, not submit to him, but to assert um, your will or to take the position that is only for your husband. The third one is, ladies, is gossip. You have a way with words that is just amazing. You have a natural tendency as ladies to be prone towards such things as gossip. The fourth thing, fourth thing is this, and I think that this is one of the biggest things for you, is that ladies, deep down inside of your heart, probably from the time that you were a very small girl until the moment that you are sitting here right now, is because of sin, is that you have a deep-rooted issue with comparing yourself to other women. Ladies, as much as you think that we check out other ladies, you check them out twice as much. Oh, do you see what she's wearing? Do you see what she has? You see how they live their life? What cars they drive, what house they have? Comparison is a deeply rooted issue. As you look at what you have, and you see what others have, and you don't have that. The fifth thing is, is perfectionism. That ladies, most of you, and again, there are outliers to all of these things. I get that, but the majority of women are going to struggle with the things that I've put on this page. There's great statistical evidence behind this. There's lots of books that have been written about these things. But most of our ladies in this room, because of sin, struggle with perfectionism. You've got to have a perfect body. You've got to have perfect hair. You've got to be the perfect wife you got to have perfect kids. Ladies, if you find a, a dimple anywhere other than your cheeks, these cheeks, then you have major issues with yourself. If you have a, a, a pimple and you're like, man, I'm, I thought I was out of the teenage years. Oftentimes with ladies is that if they ever feel like they can't do anything or if they're gently even rebuked about something, hey, you did not make a wise decision about this, one of the common statements that will either come out of that woman's mouth or be thought about in her brain is, is I am stupid. I'm stupid then. And that's not what was said. But that's where sin led you to believe. So there's pain and childbearing. There's the assertion over your husband. There is gossip. You will compare yourself. There is perfectionism. And can I just say something briefly about perfectionism in regards to your body? Do you know how often that changes within the history of humanity? If we go back to the Renaissance, if you had abs, ladies, and dark skin, you were a slave. But now that's the cultural norm that is being pumped into us or pumped into you is that this is the standard of a woman's beauty is how many abs that she has, what her legs look like. If men never work out our legs, anytime you go to a gym, you will see the same women over and over and over again every day of the week only working out the lower half of her body. I had a girl tell me this week at Western, she was like, oh, I ain't going to do biceps. I don't want to look like a man. But these things are all very subjective depending on what's happened in time. And we have created something called Photoshop that kind of illustrates and creates this idea of perfectionism that even those women don't have. 
They are not real. And yet that has become many of your standards of beauty. And also that is fed into men's understanding of standard of beauty, which, again, we'll talk about next week. Fear and trust. Many ladies, because of sin, have issues with fear and trust. They're fearful about the future. They are, have issues with trusting their husband or trusting men in general. And maybe that was because of sin that has been brought onto them. And the seventh thing is, is that a lot of our ladies, because of sin and, and the fall of, of man and woman, is that you will often create a fantasy world for yourself. You will escape into daydreaming. You will escape into romance novels, which are emotional pornography. Never tell a man that he should not look at porn if you are reading romance novels because they're emotional porn for you. You will find yourself involved in movies. And ladies, if you look at any statistics and revolving around pornography these days, I've seen anywhere from 20 to 50% of now porn use is done by women. You will try to find escape through fantasy. All of these are deeply rooted within the woman. This is because of your sin nature. These are the things that are naturally inside of you because of sin. And yet, we as followers of Jesus have been called to something new. You, because of Jesus, brothers or sisters specifically, as the book of Ephesians will tell us in its first three chapters, that you are his daughters, that you are his heirs, that Jesus has saved you, that he has changed your identity from being these things that I've just listed in sin, and, and that he has created a new woman inside of you. That there is a spirit, the spirit of God that is resting inside of you. And not that you will not struggle with these issues that I have just mentioned, but if the Holy Spirit is truly inside of you, then he is chiseled away at all of those things that I just mentioned. That he is working on how you use your mouth. He is working on that quarrelsome spirit. He is working on you in wanting to assert your position above your husband's position. He is working on you and not living in the fantasy world, but that he has specifically appointed this time in your life as it is for his glory and ultimately for your good. So the old is gone, and the new in Jesus, sisters, has come. You are his. He deems you worthy through his son, Jesus. The perfection that you are seeking after cannot be reached, and yet Jesus is the perfect one. The fear and trust issues that you have, guess what? He holds your future in his hands. He's got you. He is a true and better man. He's a true and better husband than what you currently have. So you rest in Jesus and because you rest in Jesus, you are gospel-centered. And what do gospel-centered wives do? Gospel-centered wives submit to your own husbands as this passage reads. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, if you have a pencil, what I want you to do, ladies, is go to Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And I want you to take your pencil and I want you to mark through the word submit. Because it's not there. A bunch of men who got together to do the canonization of Scripture threw that in there. Because they don't like women. Yeah, I just lied. Thank you. My sister, my wife, they, they recognized I was joking. Okay? However, in the original Greek language, it is not there. It is not there. Actually, if you translate it, it says wives to their own husbands. So where do we get, and why did the translators, in order to help keep the thought going, add the word submit? Because it's an implied truth from the previous verse, which says this, 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the submitting is there, the physical word there isn't there in the Greek, but it's an implied truth from the top. So Paul is going to throw out this idea. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their own husbands. Do you get the connection there? Okay? But because we put paragraphs and all these sorts of things and we broke up the Bible the way that we've done, in order to keep the train of thinking, I don't think that they were wrong, but it's important for us to understand where this is ultimately coming to, and it's coming from the idea of mutual submission. So Paul, the Holy Spirit, is going to inspire us, encourage us to be mutually submissive, and this is how a woman does it. And he'll get to the man next week on how he submits. So wives... Submit. Submit. See, submission is at its root. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. It's an attitude built upon this idea of being a spirit-filled woman. That's the context of this passage, right? If you go back up in the earlier chapters there um, where I think Pastor Justin was preaching, but we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, ladies, the very Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very Holy Spirit that is resting inside of your hearts. And if you're, a, and I'm talking to Christians here, if you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, then that Holy Spirit is inside of you. And the evidence of that, or one of the evidences of that, is that the Holy Spirit is enabling you, empowering you, changing your very attitude to say, I want to submit to my husband. Do you have a problem with submission? Then you have a problem with the Godhead. We're told inside the scripture that the spirit is submissive to Jesus. Ladies, be submissive to your husbands. And that God the Father is likewise, that, 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 that Jesus is submissive to God the, the Father. We, we, we see this and that likewise, wives should submit themselves to their husband. A spirit-filled wife will submit to Jesus. Therefore, she will have little to no difficulty submitting to her husband. She finds great joy in the realization, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and he is mine. See, submission is not oppression. 
Submission is a voluntary fruit of your heart from your identity that is found in Jesus, ladies. This is the desire. It's voluntary. She is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. When the church goes wayward, what happens to the church? There are great problems with this. We see this in the first, uh, or in the book of Revelation as, as John the Revelator talks to those seven churches who have weaved in and out of faithfulness. And there were always problems there. And so Jesus is constantly saying to those churches, paraphrasing it, yeah, come back to me. Come back to me. But the Christian woman has this desire that, man, I am my beloved and he is mine. I, I, I have this new identity that is found inside of Jesus and I want to help my husband. He is weak in these areas. He knows that he is, ladies. He doesn't need your help pointing them out, I promise. Your man knows them. And what he needs is for you to come alongside of him, to help him, to submit to him. The husband, kids, home, they, they take a priority in the gospel-centered wife. The husband, the kids, the home, they take a, this priority. And what I mean by some of this is, is literally uh, the organization of the home. Man, if a wife is disorganized, the home is usually disorganized. And again, I'm not simply talking about um, how things are folded, okay? I have OCD. If you come to my dresser right now, you will quickly notice that everything is color-coordinated, co all right? That my, my shirts are even hung a certain way according to that. All right, so I'm not just saying that this is something of women, but I'm telling you, your, your house will be floundering out of control if you cannot keep up with calendar and dates. If you can't keep up with some basic things. And again, some of you are like Stephanie Helton right now is like, oh, I got this down. I'm good at this. All right. My wife is like, I got list of list. Jen Hazel, list of list of list of list. All right. Some of you, it may not be natural for you ladies, and yet because Christ is inside of your life, the husband, your kids, your home, and what's happening there, a lot of, a, a lot of that, it takes a priority inside of the gospel-centered wife. And ladies, please hear me. I'm not saying that every woman has to work at home because I don't believe that the Bible says that. I believe that a lady can make more money than her husband. I believe that a, a, a lady can have a career but her family and her home cannot be sacrificed, ladies, in the process. That the home, her husband, the kids, they all take a priority over what is taking place outside of the home. Ladies, why would your child ever respect their dad if you don't? Ladies, why would you ever expect them to ever do that. Many of you ladies, and I commend you for this, you are committed to being a good mom. And that is worthy of praise. But you're content with being a good mom while being not gospel-centered as a wife. Ladies, 
Ladies, I've learned this, is that nothing will cut to the quick of your heart than your husband or someone else saying something about your ability to be a mom or how good you are at being a mom or a mother. Right? I mean, nothing cuts to you quickly. And I, 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 I want to be gracious toward that. I think that there's probably a lot of truth to that. My wife has taught me in regards to those things. There are just some things that, and if you want to break your wife's heart, say something about her and her ability to mother. And so we need to be cautious of that. However, ladies, the gospel-centered mom is a gospel-centered wife. And if you're content with just being the best mom on the planet, but you're not reflecting Christ as a wife, then, then there's a problem there. Your priorities are out of whack. The created order is out of whack. It'll be a detriment to your marriage. Ladies, the idea of submission is I willingly submitting myself to the authority of another. It's your will to do this. Ladies, if your husband ever says, hey, woman, red-faced, you need to submit to me because that's what the Bible says, then you call me. Because some of the most abusive men on the planet have religion next to their names. And that is not the Bible. That is not the Bible. And ladies, you do not and should not be in a position where someone will use the Word of God to abuse you with it. That was free. I almost preached next week. All right. I'm, willing, I'm willingly submitting myself to the authority of another. Do you have a problem with that, ladies? Because to me, that sounds a lot like Jesus. It's darkest moment. What does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Ladies, a gospel-centered wife a gospel-centered woman for you singles, she is submissive even when he, her husband, is not present. She's submissive even when he, her husband, is not present. This means that she is not assassinating his character or sabotaging his time, talent, and treasures when he is not there. She follows his lead even when he is not there. She is not committing infidelity with her mouth, her body, or their money. A gospel-centered wife is to be a helpmate, not a hurtmate. So this means when he is not there and you have to make a decision, you must consider first and foremost Jesus himself, and then secondly, the will and desire of your husband. You cannot sabotage him and your family's time, talent, and treasure. That means your money, when he is not there to make the decision, you should be making the decision based on Jesus and based on your husband being right there. If not, you're going to cause major problems. 
How many times have you ever been in a situation, and me and my sister, grew up, we grew up in a house like this, where my mama would treat us to something, and she'd be like, don't tell your daddy. I bought that. That is wrong. And my mom's a saint. All right? She got one thing against her. That's it. Okay? But these uh, ladies will fall into these traps of, of saying things. You will get together with your girlfriends at, at these different things, and, and you will begin to just downgrade and sabotage your husband's character. And let me play with you. Let me, let me, I got you. He may be a joker. He may be all the things on that list, but it is not your responsibility to character, assassinate his character to other women. That'll be a temptation inside of your sin. But a gospel woman is submissive even when he is not present. In Proverbs 31, 11, the heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Can your husband trust you when you're not there, when he's not there? Can he trust you not to be flirtatious? Can he trust you to spend money wisely. The Proverbs 31 woman, the Bible says that her heart of her husband, man, he can trust her. Go, do it. I trust you. I trust you. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. That this is desire, this is a passion. Now, quickly, what does submission not mean? This does not mean, number one, that a woman submits to sin. If your husband is trying to prostitute you out, which I know those things in cases, I've worked with people where that's happening. If your husband is asking you to do anything that is contrary to God's word, then guess who you submit to? You submit to Jesus, not your husband. If he's trying to get you to peddle drugs, do things that are illegal, cheat on your taxes, whatever the sin may be, and your husband is trying to commit you to do that, ladies, do not submit to sin. You submit to the Lord, not to him. Submission does not mean that a woman is inferior to man. From God's perspective, you are equal in personhood, but different in roles. A woman chooses to place herself in this role as a reflection of Jesus. This has nothing to do with your ability, ladies. We are not talking about your intelligence. It is not about competence. It is about order and the order comes not from man, but it has come from God. Ladies, you are often way more intelligent than we are as men. You are. Your ability to multitask, lady, is a superpower. It was interesting. We went to Acts 29 for our assessment. Um, they, they pretty much said, out of all the people that are here, the person that should be planting a church is Laura Baker out of all those men. She was the most qualified person. She preaches to me every day. She can preach. That girl can walk the dog, right? And yet, that's not her role, okay? Doesn't that mean that you're inferior? It means that much, you're much more organized and we need your organization, many of you. In many ways, the way in which you see things, your compassion, your care, all those sorts of things that we can often overlook as we're sitting here just going to the world, man, you are seeing these things. 
all right? You're compassionate. You have hearts for people. And we're just, you know, drools drumming down our lips. We got Cheeto hands. And, and we're watching football or whatever. And you're, you're seeing all of this stuff. And all that a man can see is... Okay? It has nothing to do with inferior. You're not inferior because you submit that you're going to use your giftedness for good, not for evil. And we are the weak ones who desperately need you and your ability. Okay? Way smarter. Way smarter. I mean, Justin knows that. His wife's a doctor kind of thing. All right? I know that. My wife teaches special education. I'm like, Laura, you could run this joint. I don't want to. I just want to teach special ed. I'm like, you have this ability. Look at all these things that you can do. Now, all right, keep doing them at home, though. You're awesome. And she does. Those kids, as great of a teacher that my wife is, they get the crumbs. Because in our house, we get the full course meal. And they get whatever is left at the baker's. Very blessed. Number three, this does not mean that a woman submits to every man. What does the passage say? She submits to her own husband. All right? She submits to her own husband, not to every man. A, a gospel-centered, submissive woman means this. It does not mean this, that she is a piece of property, a slave or an object. Women during this time that the Bible was written were treated not as a person. They were treated as a thing. A man owned a donkey. He owned a piece of land. He owned a woman. She was a possession to be willed by her husband. A Jewish man prayed every morning thanking God that he was not born a woman. A Jewish man could divorce his wife for any reason that he saw fit. She was to be seen little and heard even less. And then Jesus comes later. And he is found talking with a prostitute at a well. He is found speaking grace into a prostitute as she washes her feet with her own tears. The first person to preach the gospel that he is risen was Mary Magdalene. Ladies, if you want to try, try if you want to find true feminism and true liberation as a woman. Know Jesus, because that man did it right. He laid before us a foundation not to treat you as a product or an object, but to treat you as the daughter of God that you are. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can be found or who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Nowhere in Scripture through the lens of Jesus' teaching and the gospel do we see a woman as invaluable property who are the slaves to manhood and to be bullied by a man. But quite the contrary, when we see Jesus with women, they are greatly confronted with their sin, embraced and encouraged to engage in his mission. Number five, a woman is to remain in a physical or abusive home. That is not what this says. Ladies, if your husband has touched you, has been physical toward you, here's what I want you to do. 9-1-1. You call the cops on him. Then you call your elders. But you make sure he's packed up out of that house first by the cops. 
I know two guys, Charlo brothers. Get to know them, call them. They will come to your house and pack your husbands out. You have no place. Being submissive to your husband does not say that you stay in a home that is physically abusive. You get out of that house as quickly as possible. I also want to say something about being verbally abusive. If you have a husband who has this out-of-character moment and he flies off the handle, which can happen to good-natured, good-character, Christ-centered men, Okay, I would encourage you ladies that if he does that in that moment, that is wrong. You probably do need some counseling. You need to call us as the elders. If, if that was kind of an out-of-body experience. However, if this is his consistent thing, that he is constantly bullying you, tearing you down, cussing at you, ripping you apart, I'm not giving you permission, as the Bible I don't feel is giving you permission necessarily to get a divorce, but you need to get out of that house. Do not stay in a physical abusive relationship. Get out of that house. If he's hitting you, touching you, pushing on you, grabbing on you, punching on your kids, you get out of that house. But if he's being also verbally abusive, and this is a product of his character and nature, you get out of that house. Get out of the house. Be safe. Your place, your house, ladies, God is not calling you to be abused. Again, the issue with divorce, that's something we'd have to work through, talk through. But immediately what should happen is you need to get out of that place. Do not stay there. It doesn't mean, ladies, that you do not have a voice and cannot influence your husband. Please help him. He needs to hear your voice. Number seven, it does not mean that you ha do not have a role in ministry and the church. I want to apologize to ladies. I think good intentions in a lot of churches and situations, I tried to paint this picture, that women cannot be involved in the ministry and the life of the church, and this is a lie. We see inside of the Bible people like Mary, we see people like Martha. We see people like Lydia, the wealthy worshiper of God who supported Paul's ministry. We see Phoebe, who was a deaconess. We see Priscilla, the fellow worker in Christ Jesus. We see throughout church history such amazing women like Susanna Spurgeon, Elizabeth Elliot, Beth Moore, and if you don't know this lady, you should, Jen Wilkin. These are solid women of God, many of them in full-time ministry. And I want you to understand, though we, as the Bible states here, that the role of being a pastor and elder is only for that of a man, there is a plethora of opportunities and ministries for you as ladies. I believe that ladies can even hold executive positions in, in the right situations, even within the church, because that's not a pastoral role. You can be deacons, you can serve the church, you can be in full-time ministry as a lady, and I want to apologize to you on a lot of traditionalists who have bombarded you and said that that is not possible because that is a lie. You'll never prove that, me, to that to me from the text. The only thing the Bible says that you can't do in regards to the church is be a pastor. And that has nothing to do with ability. It simply has to do with order and roles. That's what God says. So at Mission Church, that's what we're going to be about. Because we are for you ladies. This means, as well with this, that a ministry to your family, it is important. I hear this from ladies all the time. Well, my priority, my, my primary ministry is to my family. Yes, 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 amen, hallelujah. But this does not mean that you don't have a ministry outside of your home. 
In Proverbs 21.30, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. In Titus 2, chapter three through, or verse 3 through 5, older women likewise are to be relevant, uh, excuse me, reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be reviled. Ladies, there is no such thing there may be retirement from your job, your external job outside of your home, but there is never retirement for you in regards to ministry. If you have been a Christian for many, many years, your responsibility is, is to disciple other Christians, but yet many of you are not eating meat, but you're still partaking in milk. And the call of a gospel-centered wife, gospel-centered woman, is not not do that. So in conclusion, why do we do this? Ladies, you do this out of reverence for Christ. You submit as unto the Lord. In the famous Proverbs 31.25, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Ladies, being a Proverbs 31 woman woman goes well beyond buying totes and journals that say that on it. The central idea of the Proverbs 31 woman is this, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. To a gospel-centered man, the most attractive characteristic about you is your relationship with Jesus. Because your beauty will fade but your relationship with the Lord will only continue to grow and grow and grow. There should be no question, ladies, in your home from your husband or your children on whether or not you are devoted follower of Jesus Christ. They should say that's the ultimate mark about my mommy, is that my mommy loves Jesus. I see my mommy in the Word. I see my mama praying My mama prays with me. My mama prays with my daddy. I see my mama giving to the church. I see my mom giving to to ministry and doing all these sorts of things. If you're a gospel-centered wife, if you are truly a Christian, ladies, then there should be no question in your home that my mommy, my wife, she is a Jesus addict. See, ladies, you are not responding to your husband you're responding to the Lord. And I know that you're saying right now, but, but Pastor Eric, but Pastor Eric, he, 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 and all of those things may be true. And I'm deeply sorry. But God is not finished with you. God is not finished with him. And you look past him. And you see Jesus. You do not give him, ladies, what he deserves. Because, ladies, you have not been given what you deserve. 
you gospel him. See, in spite of him, you submit to God. Your, your husband is not your ultimate authority. Jesus is. He is. Ladies, God is not out to get you this morning. He's not out to punish you. He has knitted together this very plan for his glory and for your good. This created order is a blessing. And, and some of you, I know, have been abused physically and mentally and sexually. Man, you have had situations with your dad that he was a terrible, terrible dad. And you've packed that baggage into your marriage as well. And I pray as one of your pastors and we pray as the elders of this church and as your brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus would heal all of your brokenness and that he would give you the strength to endure the race that is laid before you. Because he can and he does. Ladies, all this can often seem impossible. Now, I want to let you in on something. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to blow this. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. But the gospel-centered wife isn't one who gets it always right. But she is one who remembers the gospel and makes it right when she's been wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. She's constantly having to preach herself. Ladies, look at me. Jesus is your perfection. Jesus, ladies, is your redemption. Ladies, Jesus... He is your life. And so, ladies in this room, if you have been blessed with a good husband, tell him today. And remember, you've been given a good husband in view of the gospel. And so the way you gospel a good husband is you say, man, he's not that good, but God has been so gracious to us that he's been working in his life, and I can see the gospel in him. I can see you, Jesus, working in him. On the flip side of that, in a much darker situation, ladies, if you have a terrible husband, a husband that is not gospel-centered, gospel yourself in that. He is not your Savior. He is not your perfection. He is not your all in all. He cannot meet all of your demands. But there is one, Jesus, who is a true and better husband that can be your everything and see the gospel in spite of Him.